and we've this uh you know may ring a bell for for you guys that we do that you know roughly around the clock that's our bby program and and i was thinking about this the other day when i was downstairs and i gave mitch a hug and thanked him uh after the last game my time here is roughly run concurrently with mitch's i think we traded for mitch about a month after i started welcome roughly a podcast i'm your host brandon boy joined from uh, uh where mercer island washington i was trying to remember your new locale yeah, by my co-host Phil Smeraldo, and there's there's a dog somewhere around you. A dog whose whose Halloween costume looked great yesterday, by the way. Oh, d- didn't that look nice? She was yes. the butler. So yes. I got this is this is real suburban living. I got two <laughs> little children. We only we don't. Oh, live, congrats. I mean, you've been yeah, you've been on you've been to my house, but we got two little children to come up and um and do uh, trick or treating. We don't live in a very high traffic area for that kind of stuff. We're not like super residential neighborhoody. But it was really cute. To the kid just started banging on our window. She was like two years old. It was really, it was, it was adorable. All the kids in Russell Island are studying or playing lacrosse or something instead of yeah. instead of doing child things. That makes sense. Yeah, we went out. Uh, there's in Philly. There's like some big neighborhoods with crazy trick or treat scenes that we went out to just to check it out. Um, a lot of Philly's costumes. A lot of a lot of baby fanatics. Those are very cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, dressing kids up and things that they don't understand is is always <laughs> always good in my book um but yeah it was it was fun we we, we got zero trick-or-treaters at where we actually live though oh did you yeah no. i wasn't expecting any but we got we just got a couple so we didn't even have any halloween candy so we gave them some caramels that were sitting on our on our counter <laughs> caramels yeah oh god I those, know. Are, those are like for grandparents I know when they're sitting or on our baking. counter, they were they were wor- they were Werther's caramels. Oh my god! Yeah, they're like the old person brand too. You got to check out your your next door like profile. You're gonna get <laughs> such hate. <laughs> Domestic terrorists living in our in our community. That is awful. Werther's. I like. I thought you were talking about like the the cubed caramels that are actually like somewhat good if you get past the idea that you're just literally eating caramel. But the the Werther's ones, like my god. Oh yeah, they were they were the Werther's ones. The kid was too young to understand what she was doing though, so we got away with it. Yeah, her her mom on the way home was like, "Honey, don't eat that." That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably a lot of Fox News like scare tactics on Mercer Island is my guess too. <laughs> like a lot of people thinking there's like fentanyl in the in the candy and stuff. Yeah, anecdotally, I feel yeah. like trick or treating numbers are down. Like I don't know anyone who posted of like I got more trick or treaters than I ever expected. I feel like it was all less. Yeah, um, I think there's like a. A confluence of factors on that one obviously number one is still like there are remnants of the pandemic and i think some people might not be super comfortable um going door to door doing that kind of stuff but then also i think there is a lot of like social distrust now and that has kind of manifested it's not that we're this is what the podcast is about but um that's kind of manifested (laughs) itself in in less neighborhoody kind of community oriented stuff like trick-or-treating yeah i think the idea of knocking on someone's door for any purpose is like absolutely terrifying and foreign so yeah that's uh, that's probably the extension of that um but yeah the fox news headline for this podcast would be honey um uh, watch out for trick-or-treaters this year or for what trick-or-treaters watch out this year because there's Jordan Alvarez in your in your Milky Way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what's funny? It went from razor blades to fentanyl. I remember when I when we were kids, it was always watch out for the razor blades in the candy. And now it's fentanyl in the candy. So contrived. Who's who's taking the time to to open that up? Um yeah. but anyways. We are supposed to be talking about the Mariners, so we should. But uh, have you seen how how love is in the air with our with our mighty Mariners? That there is a, a, a couple I saw of... Sam I saw Sam Haggerty got engaged or married or or something. 
engaged it looks like I'm okay. looking at, yeah um and then julio rodriguez is is uh oh does he have a girlfriend he has a girlfriend she plays oh, for wow. the ol reign i'm gonna have to uh, put her name up here now um i did not recognize her name but that doesn't mean that she jordan Hitema, h-u-i-t-e-m-a they they uh hard launched their relationship um uh, on, on oh, Instagram. Nice. so she yeah. plays for the women's soccer team yes oh yeah. very cool mm-hmm yeah, so good for Julio. Uh, the, I don't know. The last time we got this much insight into a star athlete's dating life, they ended up getting traded to Denver, and we hate them now. So I hope that, yeah. that that doesn't become the case with our with our dear boy. But I think we're, um, we're miles away is, from that. Is she um, is she from Seattle originally? That's a good question. Let's uh, let's do let's see if let's do the sniff test of like, do we trust? Yeah, I want to see if I what's her what's her name. Uh, Hitema, H-U-I-T-E-M-A. Her, she's from Canada, so sure. a, a general sensibility. Okay. Um, okay. All see, right. There's, there's no her. Um. Wow, her wiki page has controversies. Uh oh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. That's always like the, that's always the bad sign because you know there's always the personal life yes. section on all of them. But usually, if there's a personal life section and there's no controversies section, then they're like they're chill. But if it goes controversies and then personal life, there it, it's always a True. it's always a huge, yep. huge yeah. red Con- flag. Controversies, tax tax fraud. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, oh, she was okay. I'm I'm on her personal life. This is weird, but I'm on her personal life part, and she was dating a player who played for Bayern Munich, which okay. is a Ger- a German soccer team. Alfonso Davies. Oh yeah, he's uh, like a stud on the uh, Canadian national team. He's a oh, really good he? player. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's probably enough of that before things get weird. Yeah, there we are. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, congrats to those two young men for um, finding, finding their person for at least the time being. Good job by Julio. Good job by Sammy. And uh, let's talk about the actual baseball here. Um, We have game three of the world series tonight. The first two games uh, split one, one, we had a fun comeback by the Phillies in in game one. They kind of touched it. Well, uh, they touched up Verlander and then um, just kind of, you know, uh, Astros came back and then they grounded out at the end ground out a win at the end and then uh the second it was game very it was very similar to yes i know you're probably going to touch on that but it was very <laughs> similar to the mariners game but just with the different one result different. yeah yeah and then the second game was just the um the the boot on the throat classic astros pitching game um yeah the boot the boot might have had a little little grease on it little, little yeah a little, 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 little something on there a little, some yeah a little, little boot grease but um but yeah for Ember Valdez shut them down and uh I feel like offense couldn't get going so game three got rained out initially but is tonight what are you learning from the world series so far if anything about baseball well I, I'm gonna take that question I'm gonna make it into more of like what are you learning from the playoffs in general mm-hmm. and realistically like the margin between all of these teams in the playoffs is so small. Even the Astros, who are the best team in the playoffs and swept the Mariners and then went on to sweep the the Yankees and then now, you know, are one and one against the Phillies. It just, you know, anyone who can say definitively, like, if you were to ask me right now, now that this is essentially a best of five series to handicap it, I'd probably say it's something along the lines of, 53% Astros, 47% Phillies. And that's not to say that the Astros are not a whole lot better than the Phillies because the Astros roster top to bottom is 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 far superior to the Phillies. Um but when you just get in these in these small series 
and and these types of things and and the gap is not Astros to Oakland A's it's instead Astros to a pretty good team uh even though that gap is still large over the course of five games it doesn't really feel like it matters too too much so I guess my big takeaway from from these playoffs besides besides kind of being um marveling i guess at at the phillies how they built their roster just because it's so unconventional and so not that baseball. motherfucker dave dombrowski did it again. yeah it's just so <laughs> not in jive with modern yeah thinking of roster construction so it is really pretty cool to to watch a team like that have success but again i don't think this is some referendum on team building where oh look at the phillies they made the world series because they you know did it this way whereas most teams are doing it this other way i think it's more just this is small sample noise but it's a very fun story nonetheless yeah i i think you know it's it's like those the 13 and 2 mariners you know it's like that was a small sample size where they were the best offense in a 15 game stretch to start a season ever like that's baseball weird shit can happen if you just contain it into a a brief period of time and that's real realistically realistically the phillies if they hadn't that you uh, people will forget about this but when they were playing the uh st louis cardinals in the very first wild card round yeah in the they very must, they first lost. They, they almost lost that first game we they might if they had lost that first game they were down six two heading into the ninth if they had lost that first game there's a very good chance they don't even make it out of the wild card so yeah. it's just one of those things where you know good for the phillies but i wouldn't take anything to with the way their roster has been constructed to be some overarching referendum on oh look how they kind of built the team through free agency through this you know um this dave Dram- Dem- dombrowski kind of very classic way you know he's done it multiple times once with the tigers once with the red Sox. uh, uh did it with the- somebody the fuck them kids special. It's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where you just empty the farm and, yeah. and just, and then supplement it with, with lots of free agents and you know, it is what it is, but I don't think this is, I think Dave Dembrowski is really good at that kind of roster building. And he's probably the best in baseball at that, but I wouldn't take this as, Oh, this is the new model team should follow going forward. Similarly to in 2016, how, when we saw the Astros and the Cubs emerging and they were doing this model, you kind of felt like this is the model team should be following with the Phillies. I don't really feel like there's any sort of like, Oh, this is the model that team should be following going forward. I would like to see Scott service, take a look at the, with a, with a red pen, take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies lineup card and say, how would, how would he do it? Because um, there's a reason that the Mariners hit Julio Rodriguez first. It's because mm-hmm. you get more Julio Rodriguez that way. More at bats, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bryce Harper's hitting fourth for the Phillies, and that is a topic of much consternation among Phillies fans and among people who you know analyze baseball. Of like, why would you bury him that far down the lineup um, when it's basically like you know you're just re- redu- one reducing the amount of time or amount of at bats he's going to get, and then two reducing the uh, amount of protection he gets by because it's just like you want to you want to just put him first otherwise you can just walk those those two three and four or one two three guys to get to him um or or to kind of pitch around him because there's no one behind him in that order so it's you know it's, you know what my thought is with that with the bryce harper hitting fourth thing wouldn't it be nice if 
Dusty Baker thought the same thing and hit Jordan fourth, we probably would have won that first game against yeah. the Astros because he would have never come up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's there's there's a reason that um, we've seen that shift of, of just who cares? Like, I, I feel like yeah. there's just like Rob, Rob Thompson kind of turned the Phillies around just by getting back to basics and back to basics might have included like 1998's way of thinking about the lineup yeah. and that that you know that's that's the give and take like he was exactly what they needed but now it's like a different kind of a different set of set of circumstances the, the, the one thing about julio hitting first that i don't necessarily agree with is obviously you want your best hitters hitting towards the top that's there's no question about that i feel like julio would be better served hitting second though with a high on base percentage guy in front yeah. of him i feel like that's probably better roster construction because you'd you'd sacrifice that that extra potential at bat um for more opportunities with for him to hit on base i feel like with runners on base i feel like that's a pretty fair trade-off and and something that we should probably look into doing next year obviously this year's team it didn't really they didn't really have anybody I was gonna with, say, who is that yeah. <laughs> base percentage guy? Yeah. yeah um that being said um the phillies are are kind of a very funny thing because there were two rule changes this year that basically have allowed the Phillies to become a World Series team. And without either of them, and I can't tell which one is honestly more important, without either of them, the Phillies are at home right now. Number one, expanded playoffs. The Phillies were yeah. the the Phillies were the third team. They were not like the Mariners who made it would have made it this year or last year or any year with with the I don't know, prior to like what, 2010 when they first expanded it? Sounds Was right. That yeah. Yeah, 2010, 2011, whatever. Um, but number two, the one that goes overlooked far more, and the I think one of the reasons the Phillies are having success, is uh, the NLDH. I mean, mm. without without the DH in the NL, that lineup would be. I mean, you're 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 no matter what, you're taking one of Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, or 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 Nick Castellanos out of the lineup every single night. You have to. You can't put all those guys together. So the the DH coming to the NL also incredibly impacted the the story of their season. So pretty pretty funny and interesting case that the first year these rules come into effect, the Phillies find a way to benefit from both of them. Yeah, there you go. This is a yeah. Rob, Rob Manfred special here. Uh, this yeah. playoff, playoff run. Uh, well, this podcast is kind of dedicated to finding that uh, aforementioned on base guy and to improving mostly the lineup because I think that that's the uh, the aspect of this team that um, that needs the most help. And uh, so we're, we're going to look at, at trades and uh, free agents to ponder over of guys who might be the the missing pieces to this team. And we might say the names that uh, end up being the people, or we might just completely miss them. But we're going to cast a pretty wide net and uh, Phil is going to handle the, the trade candidates. I've made his job harder because his job in, in, in involved thinking about a, a problem that does not have a denominator per se. I'm just right. like, there's infinite amount of trades that could be yeah, made. Yeah. There's so. a, there's a much wider. Net <laughs> and yeah. Mine was basically looking at the list of available free agents on uh, MLB.com and going from there. So yes, I gave myself an easier job here, but first we have to talk about, Another addition to the the Weaver dynasty of baseball. I don't think there's any relation to Jared or or uh, Jeff here, but Luke Weaver, the most recent addition to the Mariners roster, who the Mariners claimed off waivers from the Royals. He was the 27th overall pick in 2014. This is classic Jerry Depoto looking at uh, uh, kind of you know former high pedigree guys and trying to recl- reclaim them as as prospects. He was an elite prospect from uh, St. Louis who helped them acquire Paul Goldschmidt. 
from the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2019, but has struggled with injuries and just kind of sucking since he got traded to Arizona. Do you think that there's anything there with Luke Weaver? Um, probably not is my, is my base assumption with almost all these guys that are, you know, they're, they're kind of referred to in baseball parlance as the pile, you know, you mm-hmm. get, you accumulate this massive pile of potential, uh, relievers, starters, whatever, before spring training. And then they all kind of eventually kind of weed themselves out. Now, Luke Reaver, as you said, it was a former first round pick. And we know Jerry DePoto has an affinity for those types of guys. Marco Gonzalez, Mitch Haniger, all these guys who were first round picks or comp picks or whatever, high draft picks. And for one reason or another, Tim have struggled to find, yeah, Tim Beckham <laughs> have for one reason or another struggled to find success. Now, it's not a, a perfect example of this backfiring was Chris Taylor for Zach Lee, right? Um, Zach Lee, former first round pick thought, Hey, maybe there's something here and we're only giving up Chris Taylor. Who's a, you know, most likely outcome is a depth piece, utility piece, whatever. Now backfires, Chris Taylor becomes the Chris Taylor we know now. And Zach Lee never sort of lived up to any of that billing, but this was a low risk move for Luke Weaver. I don't, I can't, my, my base assumption is always probably not going to be anything, but that's not to say Luke Weaver hasn't had success. And and maybe there is something there that the Mariners do see, especially considering I think we have to give them a lot of leeway now to to take these kind of flyers and, and trust it when they say there's something there because they have shown a repeated track record of success with developing these guys. Uh, Zach Lee had a FIP of 469 for Colorado's AAA affiliate last year so yeah. yeah i mean that's... oh well i'm actually i'm happy for him that he's still going he's still fighting yeah yeah he hasn't touched the bigs since 2015 um but uh yeah this, he's already 30 years old that was 20 he was 23 when they demonstrated him but yeah. yeah um yeah classic story there um that's with the Mariners trying to, to figure something out and uh, i don't um, anticipate him making the major league roster but a depth piece and uh, we'll see what they get there so let's look at the roster there of course are 26 <laughs> spots on the major league roster for the Mariners to fill uh, pitchers and hitters. There's going to be 13 of each of those on the team. So let's look at the pitchers first and think about the locks and then how many positions that they have to fill locks. I think there are eight of them. Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert. That's probably your definite four starters, at least your first four starters next year. Andres Munoz, number five, Paul Sewell, number six, Matt Brash, number seven, Eric Swanson, number eight. So four starters, four bullpen guides. I think the only question here is, well, there's two questions. What do you do with Marco Gonzalez and Chris Flexen? Do you keep both of okay. them? And then the other one is, do you need a lefty out of the pen? Well, we, as we, we either of those, as we saw with Houston, I think the answer to the lefty out of the pen thing is pretty resoundingly. No, you yeah. don't need a lefty out of the pen. I mean, you just need a guy who has good splits against lefties. You don't need, that's again, one of those baseball thinking that has proven to be antiquated just put good relievers in the bullpen. And generally speaking, that's going to work out better for you than trying to get cute with matchups. Now we see with some teams that have very little depth in terms of, of, of bullpen help. Um, they have to kind of get creative like that, but the Mariners have a really good start already a good starting point in the bullpen with those four guys, Swanson, Brash, um, Seawald and Munoz you kind of just think it'd be better to get two quality relievers and then fill it out from there, especially, you know, with, with guys lurking in there, like Penn Murphy, you have Casey Sadler potentially coming back, all of that. 
I don't think they should be worrying about handedness as much as they should be worrying about getting an impact reliever. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can put that lefty to bed question. And then, so with the Marco and Chris Flexen thing, I, I, we've, you know, it's kind of talking out of both sides of our mouths here because we've, we've said it before that coming into the season with five starters is kind of a fool's errand, but Mm -hmm. do you need four starters and two veteran starters like, like Marco and Chris Flexen, or can you split the difference and, and, you know, flip that. And, and I think I would imagine that the Mariners would look at getting into this offseason thinking that those they can pick one or you know use use this this advantage that they have right now to get what they need. But I'm curious to hear what you think on that. Yeah, I, I would imagine so when there's a misnomer when you say you need starting pitching depth, that doesn't mean you need seven guys hanging out on your major right. league roster, right? That's not what people mean when they say you need starting pitching depth. And unfortunately. Marco Gonzalez and Chris Flexen are both guys who are not a, you can't option them down to the minor leagues because of contractual obligations. And then B they're too good to be toiling in the minors. What people say when they say you need starting pitching depth is you need upper level minors depth. This guy's not a great example because he's very not good, but somebody like justice Sheffield. Okay. Mm -hmm. But better. Uh, I don't know. Who's a good example. Who's, who's well, a good I mean, in, in this yeah. situation, it'd be, it would be probably be Emerson Hancock, uh, Taylor yes. Dollar, like that, that, that cut. Yeah, Luke Weaver, yes. maybe. Yeah, you need guys who are upper level minors quality, guys who can go out and give you six innings and, and, and give up three, four runs. You need those types of guys. You don't need both Chris Flexen and Marco Gonzalez, especially for the amount of money that those two are costing you. You don't need both of those guys on the roster, one or the other. Yeah, there's a good case to make that you should probably keep at least one of them. I I, I could see a case where you could move both of them though, honestly. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I I think that it, you'd probably be best served to keep one of them, especially considering that you can probably get free up a lot of money um, because somebody is going to take on all of Marco's contract, probably not wisely just because the market is so starved for pitching right now. Yeah, I think Chris Flexen would be the easier piece to move there. One, I think, on the whole, he was just kind of better. He's younger than than yeah. Marco, Marco, but he was better, and he comes at next year's price tag. His twenty twenty three price tag is higher than Marco's is, but Marco's contract jumps from six point seven five next year. <laughs> it's twelve point two five the following year, and then mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a team option for for uh, much more or for additional spending beyond that. So. I imagine it'd be hard to get rid of Marco. Marco has certainly more equity in the clubhouse um, as has been talked about ad nauseum on this, on this podcast, that that might be the way to go is use Flexen's value to other teams, but you could flip that around and say, Chris Flexen's value to other teams is the value to the Mariners here. And therefore um, you can move both. And I think teams will find themselves in a situation where they could say yes to Marco's contract, but I think it would just come at a, at a lower price than, than flexing. So that's, Oh yeah. If, if you're going to have someone take on all of Marco's contract, you're um, you're, you're not, you're not getting, getting anything. Back. Yeah. yeah. That's a favor. That's, that's somebody getting desperate is them taking on the entirety of Marco's contract. That's a, we talk a lot about this, but that is um, just for a refresher. There's un- there's such a thing as an underwater contract, right? Where you're on field value, even if you provide positive value on the field, which honestly Marco did not even provide positive value on the field. But even if you provide positive value on the field, <clears throat> if your contract is onerous, 
it's called an underwater contract. And that means you are not worth what you're being paid. Obviously, there's the flip side of that where contracts have surplus value a la Julio Rodriguez. Just a little refresher as we go into the offseason um, regarding contracts and, and what players on field value is and how it correlates to their total value. So let's let's say starter X is is pitcher number five there. So that's either Marco or Flexi, because I'd imagine that they would keep exactly one of those players heading into the season. So then you have four spots to fill in the bullpen. I'll read off the names. You tell me if they're making the club next year or not. Diego Castillo. No. Really? You think? I don't think so. Okay. I I think there's going to be a move there. I I, I really do. Um, just because he's is he in his final year of arbitration? He is yeah, one more year after this. One more year after this. Oh, he'll be an un- maybe, uh, unrestricted free agent in 2025. Okay, maybe they will. I thought this was his final year, and I, I would have assumed if this was his final year, I could see them moving him. But if he has two years of control, mm, yeah, okay, let's say he sticks around. Okay, so Diego Castillo, come on board. You are pitcher number 10. Penn Murphy. Hmm. To start the season, yeah, I think he probably does. Yeah. Uh, Matt Festa. No, I could see him being in the pile and getting lost in the pile. I get, mm-hmm. And I could see him. Does he have an option year? That is a good question because I just if he see does. Team control for two more years. And, the, and, control- then, and then three years are. So he must have an option. So I'm going to say he does not make the team out of spring training, no. Okay, so we are at 10 with, uh, or 11, 11. With, with Castillo yeah. and Murphy. Uh, Casey Sadler. That's an interesting one. It, it, that one totally depends on how he looks in spring. I mean, if his arm looks toast, then they, uh, no. But if he looks like, but it was funny with Casey Sadler. Like, you didn't actually think Casey Sadler was a very good player when he came in. So I don't even know what good Casey Sadler looks like. You know, I mean, yeah. we obviously saw it, but like, what does it mean for him to be good? Cause it's right. not a velocity thing. It's not a, you know, it's none of that kind of stuff. So what does it even mean for him to look good? I, I I'm not quite sure. So I'm going to go, my gut instinct says, no, I don't think okay. he makes it. So we're yeah. still at 11. I mean, then okay. you, your options are Ryan Barucki, uh, resign Matt Boyd. Um, you know, I, 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 I could see, so I want to bring up the Matt Boyd thing. I could easily see them re-signing Matt Boyd to compete into the rotation and also as insurance in the bullpen. I think that makes all the sense in the world is you let him go out and compete for the fifth spot. If he loses it to somebody else, you slide him into the bullpen again. Yeah. I I don't know if he would accept that at this stage of his career, especially when he's got 29 other suitors, but you know he has an affinity for Seattle. You know he wants to be here. I think I think that could be a course of action with Matt Boyd. So that's 12, and then is your last spot for like a Hancock? Hancock, Dollard, yeah. Miller, Mako, like whoever, yeah. whoever shines. That would probably be how you use that last spot. Or if you find, you know, free agent you like, or someone comes along and trade that you really like, but I'd keep that last spot open. Okay. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's about right. I think the, 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 the Festa one is the interesting one because he was so good at the end of the season. And um, you know, the, the story is there, like it's kind of a Seawaldian arc there but um it's a lot of guys it's like can you do it again can you do it again pen murphy can you do it again um uh casey sadler from two years ago you know it's like you know this is kind of what what it was with seawall last year and he did it again this year but um you know the drew second rider didn't do it again this year and that's that's just kind of how it goes sometimes right um 
underlying stats on Festa are better than they are on Seawall, or excuse me, on Stecken Rider. Um, it's not quite as blue on the Savant page. So it gives you it gives you some sense that, you know, what he did this year was not an aberration. Yeah. Yeah. Second Rider was uh Second Rider and Castillo were major regression candidates. And Castillo yeah. at moments uh, was was pitiful, but um at other times looked amazing. So yeah, they, they, he was I've gotta say, he was the most interesting guy on the Mariners to watch this year because there were times where he would oh, come the in. variance in, in his the variance was, was insane. So wild. Yeah, it, it looked like he was either the best reliever in all of baseball or he could not throw a strike. There was no in-between. It was it was quite odd. I don't know if there's something they want to tweak in his routine to try and get hone in a little more consistency, but you obviously know the good players in there. Um, I don't know what it is about the consistency factor, but they got to figure something out with that. Let's do a quick Austin Shenton check-in. You ready for that? Yeah, I don't think he's very good. I think he's going to go in the toil away. Austin Shenton finished uh, with t- this is the player the Mariners traded to get Diego Castillo with exactly 100 WRC plus in uh, in Double A for Tampa, and, which is and, the highest, and he's old, the highest level. Yes, he is uh, yeah. 24. Yeah, so okay, well that all comes with another watch. Let's move to the position players. There might be a position or a, a potential pitcher to add, but it feels more likely that the Mariners will fill the roster spots on the position players. I think there's six locks. You've got Cal Raleigh, Ty France, Gino Suarez, JP Crawford. Julio Rodriguez, and I think at this point, Jesse Winker is a lock. How do you feel about he, that? He's a lock. He's definitely a lock. Like, the, the just the way they've been talking about him, unless somebody blows them away in trade, which they're not going to because no. he's coming off a down year, he's he's going to be either your DH or your left fielder next year against right-handed pitching. I don't think they're going to try the left-handed pitching experiment thing again. I think they want to just get him back to focusing on mm-hmm. doing what he does best, and that's mashing right-handers which is extremely valuable because 75% of pitchers are right-handers. So, you know, do that. Just just get him focused on on doing that again, and, and I think he'll be fine. But, yeah, I would I would agree with that assessment that he's a lock. So the needs are, one, J.P. Crawford, Crawford's double play partner. Whether, whether what side of the middle infield J.P. Crawford is playing is, is up for debate and kind of depends on who they bring in, and the corner outfield spots. Um, and so the uh, – pick you know so th- there's two holes that definitely need to be filled and basically seven um players to bring back so or seven players to to, to bring into the position player mix to the six we just said so yes any of these guys would you say absolutely they are making the team next year um from from in-house okay tom, tom murphy i'm not gonna say he's absolutely making the team no okay mitch hanniger no definitely not 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 gonna no no chance to resign. No chance to resign. Adam Frazier. No chance to resign. I think he's gone unless he again he accepts a utility role coming off a down year, which I don't think he will. He's he's not coming back. I think that's the last to Adam. Luis Torrens. Not a lock. No. Yeah. Definitely not. I think one one of him or Murphy is a lock. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's call that seven. Um, between those. Yeah, two. between those two. Okay. Dylan Moore. That's a lock. He's okay. coming back next year. Yeah. He Sam did Hag- enough this year. Sam Haggerty. I don't think that's a lock. No, I, yeah. I think that one comes down to spring training battle. And more complete infield, which is, is yes. what makes him more valuable than Haggerty. Even if you thought Haggerty was better this year, uh, Jared Kellenick. That's not a lock. No, can't be a lock. Abe Toro. No, in fact, I think that's a negative lock. There's a good chance he might get DFA'd. 
Yikes. Uh, Evan White. <laughs> Opposite of a lock. The, the <laughs> least the least locked door on earth. And Kyle Lewis, I think that door is also flinging open in a windstorm. You know, I will say this about Kyle, though. If he is healthy, I feel like he's a lock. But that's just a, such a huge, massive, unbelievably big if that there's no way you could say this guy's making the team next year. But I think they believe in his bat. I I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah I mean, you have to. Yeah, you have to believe in the bat. I don't know if he can play left field at this point or what the – the status of his legs is but if he's healthy he's making the team yeah it's hard to imagine him being the centerpiece of any trade at this point um he'd have to kind of be a a deal maybe sweetener for a team that really likes what they see but how do you how do you like what you've seen at this point because well you haven't seen much exactly right so that that makes it hard okay so so there are essentially five spots to fill we know that they're gonna have a backup catcher it's probably gonna be in-house between uh, Tom Murphy and Luis Torrens. No need, I would imagine, to spend anything to go get somebody when you have two decent options in-house and then Dylan Moore. So that's up to eight locks and five positions to fill. So from the trade side, uh, what do you have as potential options for spot fillers? Um, either either on, on the, you know, we talked about pitchers, but we kind of left that alone. If you do have pitchers, great, but probably more on the position side. Yeah, I'm going to focus on the position side, guys. And I'm going to start off with the one that you're not going to like. I'm so scared. <laughs> um, so this guy, Jonathan India, had a horrific yeah, horrific. That's an interesting he a, one. He had a horrific season. Uh he was worth like negative one. Let me pull it up really quick. I think he was worth like negative one and a half war. He yeah, he had a three war season in, in fangraphs war for in uh 2021 as a rookie and then negative yeah. half a war. Neg in, in baseball reference war. Yeah, negative point down, down to down to point four, yeah. WRC plus dipped from one twenty to ninety five. Yeah, this was a an awful follow up campaign. And now he's going to be entering his last year of team control before he hits ARB. The Cincinnati Reds are not going to be good in time for him to refine his whatever it was that made him special. I I haven't even looked too deeply into what did make him special, but the Reds are not going to be good enough in time for them to capitalize on the prime years of Jonathan India. Coming off of a down year, I think he's gettable, and I think yeah. he's someone you kind of want to kick the tires on. Now, if he's your starting second baseman next year, I don't know how comfortable you're going to be feeling about that. But it is somebody to kick the tires on. That's like the bargain bin if we're going to go that route. Yeah, uh, three trades with the Cincinnati Reds in a calendar year would be hilarious. But yeah. uh, it goes. It goes. I mean, something- we've seen. Yeah, we've seen it done before. Mariners and the Rays do it often. You know. Yeah. So. It is. Uh, it goes back to something we said at the top of this podcast about Luke Weaver, Jonathan India, the fifth overall pick in the 2018 draft. So that's exactly. uh, probably yeah. somebody that they were even looking at at that. Well, no, 2018 they they would have been much later in the draft and not really in the in the India market. Um, at that, yeah. But anyways, that, that's that's a good name. Not one I had thought of. Okay. Um. Then we're gonna get into the higher tier, the more like expensive guys who are yep. gonna be tough to get. Um. I. It, and this is going to totally depend on what the Minnesota Twins see as their future, um, depending on what happens with Carlos Correa, depending on what happens if they're shopping Byron Buxton. But if they're if they're looking to go into a teardown mode, um, Jorge Polanco is going to be somebody that you have to look at for second base. Um, coming off a three-win season with 120 OPS plus, um, he's just a really – solid baseball player and by all metrics seems like he would be one of those people who would be sort of immune to 
the 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 dregs of 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 T-Mobile Park because he's not a high Babbitt guy like Adam Frazier was. He he hits for more power. He controls the zone. He seems like the type of guy that um, Depoto would covet. So he would be definitely more expensive. Um, let's see, actually, let's see how much more expensive he would be. I have a bad feeling about what his so really nifty tool, and we've talked about this tool um, on the podcast before. But baseball trade values, it kind of lets you know exactly how expensive a player is mm-hmm. based on their contract situation and how they perform on the field. So while I'm doing that, if you want to talk about anything, <laughs> yeah. uh, Polanco yeah. from a contract perspective, I think is an interesting one because you do, it do, it does come with control. And I think that over and over the Mariners, um, I think Luis Castillo was probably the only deal that they've made where they didn't have club control past. Well, they had one year, but then they, they uh, went ahead and did that extension to, to go even farther than that with uh, Polanco. He signed through 2023 and then it's a club option for the uh, 2024 and 2025 season so a guy with three years of control okay so uh, he's actually not he's not too terribly expensive um he is worth 15.8 million dollars according to baseball trade value that's his surplus so to give you context for that essentially he's worth about what ty france is worth which is a good player not a you know in in some the the surplus values i would say something like 40 uh, of surplus value of 40 is somebody where you're going to be giving up a, a top tier, you know, top 50 type of prospect as the headliner. So Jorge Polanco is not too, too terribly expensive. Um, and, and again, depending on what the twins do, he could be a gettable target. Another really good name. Yeah. I think uh, there's obviously another middle infield target that the Mariners might have in mind from, from uh, Minnesota, but Polanco might be the other solution that would keep mm-hmm. uh, JP at short if that were, was the case. Uh, keep rattling them off. I'm wondering if we're going to get to to my my Miami man here, but um, that's up to you. Well, next one is going to be close to Miami. Just a quick drive over to Tampa. <laughs> so so close to, to yeah. Miami. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what's funny about the United States, man. Is like people are like, oh. You know, in Europe, they're like, well, I'm just going to drive from New York to Flo- to Miami. It can't be that far because, you know, they're used to like yeah, taking the train in the from, same like, country. Like, right. Yeah. And so it's like, no, you're you're not no. going to do that. That's like a three day trip. Yeah. But anyway, um, point still stands. Brandon Lau. Mm. Um, he is again, he's going to be more gettable. He's getting we know Tampa's M.O. at this point. And when I'm doing these names, I'm trying to think. You know, it'd be really easy to be like, yeah, the Mariners should trade for Aussie Albies, but that's that's just not going to happen, right? Right. So you're trying to think of guys who are okay. Where is the team at in their competitive cycle? Would they be open to moving this guy? So the names I'm rattling off: Jonathan India, Jorge Polanco, and Brandon Lau. Those three are um, kind of guys who I view as likely or somewhat likely to be on the move this offseason. Um, quite thing with Brandon Lau, very similar to Kyle Lewis. He has battled a lot of health issues, but when he's right, uh, he's one of the most impactful second basemen in baseball. Uh, there were a two, three year peak there where he was putting up a consistent four, four wins a year. Um, is that a bygone era? It remains to be seen, but I think you could get him for something relatively affordable he's in that same tier as Jorge Polanco in terms of surplus value 15 16 so it would be like 
you could headline a package with Emerson Hancock to get Brandon Lau. And I think that would be something that you'd at least, it's not a one for one, but it's a starting point. It's not something that's going to be so unattainable that you'd have to sell everything, but the floorboards, you know what I mean? Yeah. A little scary for a guy who uh, just had a very injury, injury riddled season, but only 27. And you're basically saying like, look, the prospects are prospects and let's take the sure thing here. All right, we got finished up with Brandon Lau there as our last infield candidate or middle infield candidate. So, Philip, how about some corner outfield help? So, again, we're going to be looking into team needs, right? Um, who we match up with, who makes sense for what team is looking to ship off a left fielder or a right fielder or, you know, left field and right field, they're not exactly interchangeable. But, the, but for the purposes of this exercise, Let's just go ahead and lump them together corner as corner outfield. One guy you could see potentially being on the move um, just because Toronto has such a huge uh, amount of resources dedicated to offense and they're, they're desperate for, you know, some back end pitching, especially because Ross Stripling is going to opt out. Um, and Jose Barrios has not worked out over there. You could see a move for somebody like Santiago Espinal. Um, mm. I think that's, uh, a target for the Mariners there uh, just because the way the teams match up in their strengths and weaknesses, it, it would make a lot of sense um, to trade some pitching for someone like Espinal. And a guy who can play middle infield too, and has positional first yeah. versatility, which would be obviously something the Mariners covet. Yeah. Um, but that, that was one of the guys who struck me right off the bat. Um, as so a, es- Espinal hasn't played in the outfield as in the majors, at least he's played second. Or, third, excuse, I, I, I used, I used the wrong name. I, excuse me. Lourdes Gurriel. Oh, okay. not, I was like, not, yeah, not, uh... <laughs> not I, I, I confused the, tr- yes, the two yes, of them, yes, but yes. Uh, who I was talking about was Lourdes Gurriel. Yes. Okay. Much more of a, of a fit there. Yep. Uh, so yeah, all of those things that you said about <laughs> Santiago Espinal do apply to Lourdes Gurriel. Yeah. Excuse me. I just confused the two names. Who, um, who we know his head um, is a perfect uh, trampoline to get balls out of out of T-Mobile Park. So that's, yeah. that's huge. Uh, won't want that when he's playing for us, though. Correct. Uh, another name, again, staying in the AL East, uh, Yandy Diaz. He is not exactly a outfielder anymore. He is very much a, you know, almost like a Jordan Alvarez, right? Where you can put him in left field, but it's not it's not preferred. Um, but the bat is undeniable with Yandi and he had a somewhat bounce back season after a tough year with Cleveland and then moving to Tampa. So, so Yandi's another guy to look, look, look into. Yeah. Guy who uh, draws a 14% walk rate, 11% strikeout rate, I think fits the, uh, the bill of, of what the Mariners are looking for. Just a, an on-base guy with, with, uh, with pop too. Oh, wow. He had a really good year, but he was being platooned. So yeah. again, yeah. You know, it's just at this point with the Mariners, you're going to have to be realistic. The farm is not stocked like it was. You don't have a Brandon Williamson waiting there just to be dealt, right? You don't have this surplus of of minor league value. So you're going to have to be a little bit more realistic with how you're going to add impact via trade. Now, some of that could come like we saw with the Winker Suarez deal where a bit of Winker's surplus value was mitigated by funny enough, taking on a Eugenio Suarez contract, which, you know, it turns out <laughs> Suarez was Saved great. Our ass. Yeah. Yeah. Suarez was great. Winker sucked. 
But generally that was the principle there where it was taking on money from a club that was looking to unload it because they were going into a down spell of their competitive cycle. Yep. So we got uh, Yandi and Lourdes and one other outfield pros- or candidate for us. Those are all I had. I mean, you could look you into to. you could look into Cleveland. I think Cleveland has some outfield depth now that Stephen Kwan is like really established himself in the corner outfield positions. You could even look at Minnesota with again, it really depends where they're at. If Minnesota thinks they're close, you could look at a guy like Trevor Larnick, who is taking a long time to develop over there or uh, Kirilov, uh, you know, one of those guys, one of those corner outfield guys in Minnesota. It really just depends where Minnesota kind of, to me, is going to be the most intriguing team this offseason because you could convince me of either argument with them that, you know, this year was kind of just bad luck, lots of injuries, whatever, and let's, let's stock up and run it back, bring back Carlos Correa, bring back, you know, the squad plus supplement. Or you could tell me, you know, that was the end of Minnesota's window. Let's break it down. And I I could be convinced of either argument. Well, the thing with the Carlos Correa deal is that that is entirely up to Carlos Correa, whether he wants to come back or not, because that is a player option. So yeah, um, but he's, he's going to opt out of the contract, but that yeah. doesn't, pre- that doesn't preclude Minnesota from signing him to a long-term deal. Definitely not. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's do the same exercise looking for middle infield and for outfields, uh, but for the free agent side. So I think that there, there will most likely be a trade, um, a, a somewhat big trade but also i would imagine there's going to be a big free agent here as well so there'll be some combination of this so start middle middle infield like you did um most of this so all your guys were second baseman who would keep jp at short i think all of mine are shortstops who would move jp to second but yeah uh, which is fair the ridiculously unbelievably expensive category you have trey turner um who would be you know just that's the bell of the ball. That's they, they go out, they spend a ridiculous amount of money to go get him, but this is a six win player the last two seasons and a Julio. He's, he's like uh last year's Corey Seager. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. the number one guy on the market. He's the he's yeah. a six win player the last two seasons. He is a Julio level athlete in terms of strength and speed. He's not a big get on base guy, but you know, in, in his game is predicated on speed and stolen bases, adding value. And so it's a little, tough to give a guy like that like a seven or eight year contract knowing that that part of his game probably just won't exist at a certain point so that's that's Mm -hmm. a tough one there is carlos correa who i said would have to opt out he signed a three-year 105 million dollar deal but there's an opt-out after every single year including this one he's only 28 so he's younger than the entire rest of the market who's basically either 29 or 30 so a longer term deal isn't as scary with him he is an elite elite hitter his stat cast page is just bloody or red or whatever you want to say but like he 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 does all of it big step back defensively last year um which feels a little anomalous but um i don't know i'm to me of this market you got xander bogarts too uh but his power has been dropping dancy swanson i feel like it's just not going to leave atlanta tim anderson is a club option so you'd have to rely on the white Sox opting out of that which doesn't feel likely i feel like korea is is my number one target at this point, it's there's two questions with him. Obviously, the money is going to have to be preposterous, but the two thing is is the the clubhouse thing because this is not a a well liked person in basically every clubhouse, but especially the Mariners who fucking yes. hate that, the Astros yes. and everyone who. I mean that, and that's them. a real concern. I mean, it's very easy to brush that off, and I know there is a segment of the fan base that is more than willing to brush that off and say they're professionals. You yeah. know, they be able to coexist, whatever, but. 
I think there is some aspect of it, just like we talked about this last last time with the Blue Jays, where, you know, you couldn't convince me that the Blue Jays part of their collapse wasn't because of the team's mental fortitude. There is part of me that does, and I don't know how much to quantify it. I, I wish I did, but there is a part of me, and I think there is a part of every human being on earth that regardless of if you're making, you know, $10,000 a year or $10 million a year, you want to be happy in your place of work. And, and that does affect your performance. And I think it would be completely like, almost it, it would be like basically why people make fun of the nerds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it, to, to totally and a hundred percent brush the human element out, out of it. Like it doesn't matter whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's a tough thing. Cause you, you could, you know, you could pull players and get a sense of leadership of like, how would it, how would it feel? And they could give you an answer. And then that all of a sudden the guy's there and it's like, a, you know, it's like, Oh, well actually I said that, but fuck it. I, I can't yeah. stand this guy, you know? So that's, that's a tough thing. But I think from the, from those, from that bunch, if they're going to go out and spend it uh, to get a middle infield guy, I, in my mind, it's it's Correa in that bunch. But if 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 that doesn't happen because of that reason that we just outlined, like you can't you can't deny that. There's the the mid tier guys, Gene Segura, who will probably be re-signed re in Philly. I can't imagine a world where he comes back to Seattle. Um, no, especially then, after what he said about Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, and yeah. and then Colton Wong is the another interesting one. It's a club option from the Brewers, but the Brewers appear to be heading in a different direction as a franchise. Um, and by different direction, I mean just like those two-year cycles they do where they try and then they stop trying. Um, it seems like they're heading towards a stop trying one with the Josh yeah. trade and, and the GM moving on. So Colton Wong could be there. I don't really, he doesn't, doesn't crazy he a good move year. the needle. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know. he had a good, but here's the thing with second base and I hate to be this like um, kind of conciliatory about it. You don't need a massive upgrade to massively upgrade. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, just because second base was such a bad position for the Mariners last year. But again, you kind of do need a massive upgrade if you're thinking about things in totality. Whereas, okay, where's our biggest hole? It's second base. Yeah. Now, yeah, you could go out and get a league average guy, and that's great. And you bought yourself two wins. But again, we were 16 games behind the Astros. That's a place where you need a star level player. And mm -hmm. it's just, you cannot convince yourself to do these half measures anymore. You have to start chasing the Astros as unpleasant as that may feel. Yeah. And, and they, the, this, this lineup just needs ballast, like just straight yeah. talent that they just didn't have outside of Julio at a certain point last year to the outfield. Um, and this is also funny. I forgot to mention this. When I started talking about free agents. Do you remember the last uh, free free agent major league position player that the Mariners signed? Tim Beckham. Tim Beckham in 20 ahead of the 2019 season. So it has yeah, been a while you know, since the Mariners have done Do you know this. the biggest? Do you want to know the biggest? I think I might have already done this fun fact on the on this podcast, but it's still fun. Do you know the biggest free agent contract that DePoto has ever signed a hit or two in Seattle? A hit or two. Um hmm. Is it uh God, I'm trying you're to not, I don't think you're ever Is gonna it Adam it. Adam Lind? No, it's Nori Aoki. Oh, gee, that's right. I, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, that's a tough one. But yeah, that just goes to show like what he thinks of position players on the free agent market. <laughs> yeah, so this would be anomalous for him. We're uh, definitely yeah. out of character for, for Depoto to do this. But the guys in the market for the outfield, I think in the really expensive category, obviously there's Aaron Judge. I, I can't see this happening. He's no, I can't either. 30 years old. It would have to be a very large contract that would just be far too scary. And like that, I don't that, know. that contract has Pujols written all yeah. over whoever yeah. 
victim to it is I do not envy that fan base because it's going to be bad in a couple of years. Yeah. So no, thank you. But I mean, you yeah. could have said that about Nelson Cruz at a certain point, but I, I don't know. It's that, that feels like such a one-off. Yeah. Um, Brandon Nimmo is the other one who will be 30. I mean, that one makes a lot of sense, but again, expensive. Very expensive. It'll be 30 by opening day next year. When he plays a full season, he has been very good. Um, there were 10 players in baseball to score more than 100 runs last year. He was one of them. He was on a uh, one-year $7 million kind of prove-it deal with the Mets last year and is probably going to quadruple that in terms of annual value. Uh, he's from Wyoming, so like this half of yeah. the United States. If that Close, close enough, yeah. But maybe that is why he's also been linked to the Colorado Rockies to, to sign with mm-hmm. them so far. So um, we'll see. I, I can't definitely can't see them getting judged. I would be surprised, but excited if they got Nimmo because he is a perfect kind of on base run scoring player that this offense needed. Can uh, I can I say something about the Rockies really quickly? Because there is. Uh, what there, the hell are I they just, doing? I just want to make everyone i i know there is going to come a point in this offseason i can already see it so clearly in my mind's eye where you know xander bogart's resigns with boston correa goes to the dodgers swanson resigns with atlanta whatever and the the pickings are starting to get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and people are going to be jumping all over that last guy the if it's brandon nemo or if it's uh whoever it may be now I'm glad you brought up the Rockies because at this time last year, that guy was Chris Bryant, right? Everyone wanted to say, you know, mortgage, mortgage your house, take out a second mortgage on your house, go get this guy for whatever means necessary. And the Rockies did that. And Chris Bryant put up a quarter of a win. Yeah. Yeah, A quarter of a win this year. So I just, I just want to bring that to, to everyone's attention. Like, it has to be the right fit. Don't, and I know it's going to be one of those things where people get anxious and nervous and they want to overspend, but it ha- again has to be the right fit and it cannot be a Chris Bryant situation. Well, in that whole big class last year, I mean, at least the position players, Simeon, uh, Story, uh, Corey Seager, like there was not a lot of our, you know, like our life, yeah, crazy production coming back. But obviously, those are great players. They did fine, but, um, None of them, like Robbie Ray included, none of them yep. did exactly what you would hope them to do for for the contract and to pay them. There's I mean, this... the best guy was Kevin Gosman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was, you know, you know, uh, fine. Like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so th- then there's this middle or outfield class that's basically like you would have to pay them somewhat around what you'd pay Mitch Haniger. So like, mm-hmm. you know, let's think about the the value there. Uh, Andrew Benatendi. That's just a nah to me. Like, that might just be a personal bias for the the vaccine shit with him, but yeah. it just doesn't. Not a player who excites me. I agree with that. I will say this though: he probably is like a Depoto type of player in terms of like controlling the strike zone, not striking out a ton, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, he is kind of the table setter that like we kind of need. He doesn't excite me either. Don't get me wrong. And the vaccine thing definitely plays a, a factor. I, I guess it doesn't play a factor on the field anymore, just because Canada right. is has dropped the the thing uh the the vaccine mandate or whatever but it, it it still kind of rankles like your personal sensibilities i guess mine mine as well and yeah. uh, you know um yeah he doesn't he's not an exciting player but like i mean he gets on base he had a you know almost a 400 on base percentage I, he's a decent player um yeah would i hate having him here no i think he could probably help but again yeah i agree with you 
Trey Mancini is another one. Um, this is a guy who can play first base as well, which might have some value because uh, as in that discussion of who the Mariners are bring back, that did not include a, a quote unquote backup first baseman. <laughs> I tried to say Evan White and you pushed him out the door um, yeah. as I would have done too. But Jock Peterson is another name, but kind of redundant with the idea of Winker of just a, a right-handed mm-hmm. hit, a, a guy who can hit righty. So I don't, that market doesn't really do anything for me. And then there are the quote unquote bargains. So I've got four guys here. Okay. Two, two of which we have north northwest ties also. Um, okay. Jerickson Profar. This is a guy who I you and I have talked about a lot. Yeah, this is a guy we I've, like him. Yeah, we, we really like Jerickson Profar. He just had his best season as a pro for the Padres. It's been a long development story. This was like an uber prospect for the Rangers back in the day. Um, from Curacao, he was like a, a, a Little League World Series hero, like crazy athlete, uh, but could never really figure it out. This past season for the Padres, buck 10 WRC plus two and a half war season, 15 home runs has can and has played every single position on the field other than catcher. Um, he's a switch hitter. Don't know if that matters as much anymore uh, without the shift. But um, I mean, th- th- this to me is a guy that I would be ecstatic if the Mariners could bring in and just hand him a starting position on this team to, you know, just you're, he's going to play 145 games at a few different positions. And I would feel great about that. Yeah, I would love having Profar just because, again, as you mentioned, the versatility and and he's kind of just a fun guy to root for, yeah. I guess, just because you you always see these Uber prospects. It always ends up being like, OK, it's either Bryce Harper who fulfills the promise or it's, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, Jared Mark- <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to. That was obviously <laughs> the first person on my mind. But uh, or let's put it this with Tim Beckham, somebody who's just like pretty terrible. Um with Jerickson Profar is just an interesting arc. He's just turned into a perfectly fine baseball player, but somebody that is 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 an intriguing enough that I, I would like to watch and I'd like to root for him out there. I think the next two guys at least are fit that category. Um Michael Brantley is another name. He's 35. Love Brant- I love that. I'm glad you brought him up because that is a guy I think we should bring back to end his career. He's from Washington State. I think he's from Bellevue, actually, but uh yeah. one point one point two um uh international not international um chrysalis some Bell- what it starts with an i Inglemore? no it was a bellevue high school was it international let me look this up you talk and i'm gonna look up where it went to high school okay well i'm already looking up where it was high school but okay. uh uh doesn't say it doesn't on his wikipedia yeah well it says he went to he played high school ball in florida but anyways he was born in bellevue oh. played his his dad mickey brantley for the Mariners so that's that's why I was here but anyways Michael Braley's 35 he had just a 64 game season for Houston last year shoulder injury kind of ended it um should be good to go by the start of spring training this is just a hitter and this is like a, yeah not even not even like a masher that which is I think bodes well like this isn't a guy who made his hay hitting 40 home runs a year it's just by being having an elite eye and an ability to hit in the gaps and i think it's just like this is the kind of guy that you just want in that lineup and and probably want in the locker room too just a, yeah. a leader who's done it um a professional it's like you know the re- all the reasons they got justin upton in there for two weeks last year uh do that but with a guy who's you know actually still valuable and uh you know you can see see some results with that kind of like the carlos santana value of this year so um i think that there's a spot for michael brantley to play 120 games for the Mariners next year yeah I will say coming off of a of a injury that ended his season and being up there in age I don't know how many more good years he has left but you know we can we can hope 
we can hope that there's one or two more productive years that we can squeeze out of there. Two younger names here. Joey Gallo, who had a season from hell in 2022. You'd be basically betting on who he was before that and that your culture can help him rediscover his good and get out of the Yankees Dodgers. um, Just, you know, whirlwind that he was in last year where he was actively talking about how much he, you know, didn't like playing baseball and how uncomfortable it was for him to, to fail as badly as he was in front of a very, you know, uh, um, unforgiving fan base in New York. So the idea of like, yeah, exactly. So the idea of pairing him with like somebody like a Brandon Nimmo or someone who's like, you know, has, has great production. And then you kind of go under the rug for, for Joey Gallo value is interesting one because, you know, there, there is clear talent here and clear track record and like, he gets to play in, in Texas for a few games in the year too, and we yeah. know he can hit there. Yeah, it's again, uh, it's one of those things where can Joey Value Gallo provide you Joey value? value? That might be his nickname, but by, by Joey Value, can Joey Gallo provide you value? Probably, and honestly, the odds are good just because the defense has remained really good out there. Um, but aesthetically, like, do I want to watch yeah. that guy in our lineup? Not, not well, particularly, eh. but we've we've talked about this many times the the aesthetics of who the mariners became last year basically became let's let's do the joey gallo thing yeah a hundred percent and i don't want to add to that problem like i just we need we need to get away from that style like i know cleveland's offense wasn't that good but watching them was so aesthetically pleasing i just loved watching them take at bats Mm -hmm. yeah if you put two boppers in cleveland's bat cleveland's lineup they'd be fantastic but yeah so um yeah so that's the thing with gallo and then michael conforto is the last one that i have on my list this is northwest guy who didn't play last year um but has been a hundred plus WRC guy, WRC plus guy, his whole career um, with the Mets and uh, not, doesn't seem to be a lot of people's favorite player. Like it kind of has some things about him that I, I'm not really privy to, but you know, I'm sure we'd find out if he was uh, a Mariner and he strikes out a lot, but this is a guy you can hit. And um, like I said, has ties to the Northwest. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thought with, um, Conforto just because the the circumstances surrounding last year's injury were so bizarre to me he is a Boris guy which obviously gives you pause I'm not sure what the extent of the injury is but it seemed like he was ready to go at the beginning of the year and then all of a sudden he wasn't getting signed he wasn't getting signed getting signed and then all of a sudden he decided I'm I'm not going to play this year it was a very it was a very odd odd thing and I'm not sure how much Boris had to do with that versus how much that was Conforto versus how much it was a serious injury that he might still be recovering from it's 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 a total wild card and I'm not sure sure which way to go yeah the last report on him in any direction was in on May 16th it says that Conforto will look to sign a contract after the MLB draft and could potentially return as a hitter in September if he can get ahead in his shoulder rehab so I mean that's like those the teams like the Yankees that were you know going with Matt Carpenter and stuff they they chose elsewhere knowing that this was probably there so very odd situation and very hard to get a, a glimpse of his market because of of all those factors so um yeah if if they were like yeah it's Michael Conforto and nothing else he'd be very freaked out because it's hard hard to trust what you have here um with that yeah yeah he almost you know he almost reminds me of like a Kyle Lewis like yeah yeah, like what it's like the mystery box, you know, it's always so enticing because it's like, ooh, this could be really good, you know. One other 
position, uh, what a, a pitcher. How does this name sit with you? Taylor Rogers from the Padres. the reliever. Yes, the name uh, sits with me so not good that I'm <laughs> having to look him back up. He was with the he was with the Minnesota Twins, and yep, then he got, got traded. traded to the Padres. Okay, yeah, I know this guy. So he had a, if I recall correctly, he had a bad year in San Diego, right? Uh, that might have been Hater. I I know Hater had a bad year, but maybe no, maybe he had a good year. Let me look him up. No, he had a bad year, dude. He was yeah. a one negative one win. I mean, he could be a good buy low guy because there was. I remember in Minnesota, he was locked down. Nasty. He was he was nasty. I don't know what happened to him in San Diego, but that that's a name that definitely intrigues me now. Let's see what his doing this on the fly. But let's seven million dollar guy last year. He's a lefty out of the pen. Um, so you know, if that is something they value and they think that that's going to you know, be an important piece of, of things. And that might not even be because he's a lefty or just going back to what you said. of just like, he's really yeah. good. That's, that's, yeah. that's all that matters. And you know, um, relievers, are, relievers are weird. Like I wouldn't take that one bad year that he's had this year and say, make some overwhelming referendum on who he is as a baseball player. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting one, but his name did pop up as I was looking for, uh, for relief help. So it's like, I yeah. like, that. let me look at his stat cast really quick. See, this is why the offseason is so fun is because there's just a million and one guys to kind of pick through and comb through. Yeah, I mean, I mean ev- everything is available. It's like you're not yeah. confined to just like the guys on, on your team. So he ran, you know, he he actually ran decent number, like expected numbers, not great. I mean, his his strikeout percentage is elite, and so is his whiff percentage, and so is his walk percentage, but... He got hit hard. He was in like the bottom half in barrel rate, and slugging, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Could 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 be an interesting guy. I would imagine that most of their resources this this offseason go towards the position players, as we've said uh, many times already. But um, I I don't think there's any trying to prognosticate Jerry Depoto signings and trades over the years has been absolutely. So stupid. yeah, you know so. it's gonna it's gonna be somebody from like I don't know it's gonna be like someone from the Cardinals it's gonna be like end up being like Tommy Edmond or something from the Cardinals for second base and we're gonna be like what why how of the five <laughs> trade na- candidate names that you brought up Brandon Lau Jonathan Nidia Jorge Blanco Lourdes Gurriel and Yanni Diaz what would be the most likely of those five do you think for the for the Mariners to do probably Lau just because they yeah. have an relationship with the Rays and I know for a fact that the Rays are going to be motivated to move him just to save money because that's the Rays MO like Brandon Lau's getting moved this offseason I'm almost I mean as sure as you can be about anything in baseball which is not very sure but that feels to me like the safest bet that Brandon Lau is going to get moved somewhere and the Mariners have a, a hole at second base so I feel like that might be naturally the way it moves but Brandon Lau's probably playing on a different team next year yeah, they backed up the the truck for Juan Franco and for yeah. uh, Tyler Glass now. So it's like, yeah, they they've they're up against it with payroll and uh, I've got to cut costs in some ways. And then that's that's the game you play with Tampa. Just like, why are they cutting costs? Is it to fuck us or you know yeah. what is this here? So, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the ultimate we shall see situation. And uh, when it happens, I I don't know. Um, the free agency will begin sometime in the next week after the World Series is over. The GM meetings are shortly after that. Uh, there is no impending doom of a, of a lockout. So that might 
I don't know how that's going to work work the market because last well, year. Well, I it, think it's going to be bad. I, yeah. I think the, the lockout was actually, it was it, a horrible thing, but it was good for the free agent market. It was good for at least the consumption of the free agent market. Yeah. It, it, to, teams and fan base or teams knew that they had to get deals done before the deadline to, to, to get something going to, to have a piece of positivity through the, the dark times. And that might've been why the Mariners signed Robbie Ray when they did. Um, and then at, and also then afterwards it was, you had like, okay, we have the spring training in like a week. So they right. had to do all the rest of it in like a week and a half, two weeks. It was pretty fun. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there could, there could be a lot of uh, spinning our thumbs and when, yeah. when a trade happens or when a free agent happens, you bet your bottom dollar, we will get on back on these, these mics and, and talk about it. But until then, uh, would you, might, uh, before we, before we go, would you support something, um, Oh, we're not going yet. Never mind. We still have another section. Mm. Uh, so would you support, like, I think basketball has this. I don't follow the NBA close enough, but don't they have like a period of time where no transactions are allowed to happen? Like they just have like a, a, a freeze period. I think so. I'm not actually that sure. It, fe- it feels like they do. I mean, it feels like from the end of the, uh, playoffs and in, in the NBA finals end that you have kind of this, this thing up until July one and then free agency opens. I'm not sure about trades in that time, but yeah, there is kind of this like kickoff and there's this yeah. kickoff thing here with the, with the, the MLB where like free agency will technically open, but it just doesn't correlate to like stuff in the same yeah. way. It does with- I want there to be, I want baseball to basically have an artificial lockout period where there's no actual threat like last year where we were not sure we were going to get baseball, but I loved the pace of the off season yeah. last year where, we're like, okay, everything has to happen in these two weeks. And then we're going to take a long break and then everything has to happen in these two weeks. I like that. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thinking or a good thing for the MLB to think about from a business model, because like the NBA has become like the NFL had it today the trade deadline actually becomes something. And it's like this thing that people are looking forward to. And it's another reason to, you know, have an event that people look at and it's like baseball just doesn't have that. Like, no, it's, just it's, be just, this, it's just like drip, drip, drip. Yeah. Drip, it's going to be drip. this check yeah. your prostate. Cause you have a weak stream situation here. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like almost certainly what we are headed to. It's not going to be like, there's not going to be more than one acquisition a day or maybe even a week yeah. for like quite a while, long time here. So um, yeah, it Fix- used to be, it used to be before the age of the internet and all of that kind of stuff and constant phone calls and stuff the winter meetings were where a lot of stuff got done. Yeah. But now like the landscape of not just baseball, but the modern world has changed so much that the winter meetings are kind of more ceremonial than anything. It's not like you go there expecting to make a ton of deals like you did in the, in the days of Pat in the past. Um, now it's just like the winter meetings are, you know, you sit in a room and chill for a couple of days and, and that's it. And most of the real done gets done via zoom or teleconference or whatever. I think the winter meetings is when um, the Robinson Cano deal start, or the the trade with the Mets started to formulate. If I remember, yeah, I think you're right. That sounds about like the right timeline. That that was like the first time that Brody Van Wagen and Depoto was like, "Dude, what if?" <laughs> and what and, if? and uh, that that got that going. But anyways, let's try and prognosticate when things will happen. Um, obviously, we are going to be wrong on this, but if you had to to guess the exact date that the Mariners would have would make their first major league move trade free agency whenever it would be Depoto, 
I've, I've noticed a, a DePoto pattern. He always likes to make his first big move around Thanksgiving, like okay. one or two days prior to Thanksgiving or one or two days after Thanksgiving. It's never been on Thanksgiving where I've seen news break, but he always likes to make his first big move around then. I remember the Gene Sakura um, for Cattell Marte and, and, and um, Taiwan Walker and Mitch Hanniger obviously coming back. That was around Thanksgiving. Um, James Paxton was around Thanksgiving. Um, Zanino you know, he, was. what's that? Zanino. Zanino probably was around Thanksgiving. He always likes to start at Thanksgiving. So, your official guess? November. What year? What day is Thanksgiving this year? It's the. Uh, it is the twenty fourth. Okay, but that's a little earlier than it normally is. So I'm gonna say Monday, the twenty eighth is gonna be your first Mariner transaction. Okay. But the World Series, uh, the world, hold on. But also, the World Series has been pushed back this year due to the lockout, which is going to give them less time. I'm going to say Wednesday, does, Wednesday, November 30th. Okay. Last, last yeah. day of November. Okay. Last day of November. I will say that he is so excited to have, after staring at this roster for so long and seeing, like, goddamn, I want to improve my Adam Frazier. Um, can I turn it but in for wait, a new one? Also, what are we talking about in terms of transaction? Anything. Luke Weaver. Wait, any, so Luke Weaver's any, no, no, no. And any okay. major, any acquisition, it's like this guy will play for the Mariners. Okay, next year. okay, yeah, November thirtieth. Okay. okay, I will say November seventeenth. Wow, you're being aggressive. That's like two weeks away from now. Two weeks from Thursday. He's he's itching. He's got the deal formulated in his head to to pull it off. Now it would have to be a trade because I can't imagine a free agent would would happen that sign that uh, fast. That, yeah. that fast but that might also be why he wants to do it so fast is to get things going and and uh strike before other offers come in on certain players so that's i like your aggressiveness that's that's one and then how many trades will the mariners make between now and the start of spring training which i think is february 24th yeah something like that it's around there yeah yeah uh, yeah, February twenty fourth. Okay. Now again, qual- qualify for me. What what do you mean by trade? Because like, are we talking about like swapping any trade? Donnie Walton, any trade, any Donnie, trade yeah. whatsoever. Prelinda Barroa for for Donnie Walton would count okay. under this. Okay, I'm gonna say nine. Wow. Well, just because I think yeah, I think there's there a lot of a lot of shuffling. Yeah, I think there will be two big ones, but like seven shufflers. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. I think that that's a good ratio. I'm gonna balance. Say we're gonna say four, four, okay. four total trades. Three of them shufflers. One like one, 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 one uh, passing bomb or passing. Yeah. You know, like I, I tur- turn turn your Jeff Passing tweet notifications on. I think is is what I'm saying here. Uh, because that something like that will happen. There's no way the Mariners go through this offseason without adding some some like three plus win player. I'd imagine, and yeah. uh, it's it's just gonna be how and when. It, it has to happen, right? Like, they're going yeah. to have somebody. Like, it, I don't know if it's going to, like we said, it's not going to, I don't know if it's going to come via trade or free agent. They will add a three-plus win player. I, I think you can almost take that to the bank. Carlos Correa and Jerickson Profar. Are you happy with that? Yeah, I'd be happy with that, I think. Yeah, I think I'd be very happy with that. Colton Wong and Michael Brantley, are you happy with that? Mm, no, probably not, because it's just not enough. Brandon Lau and Michael Conforto. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with that. 
Yeah, I think I think like you said, of those five trade targets, that Lau is the like Lau and Polanco. I think like would are like they yeah the the fan base could eat immediately look at that Statcast page and be like yeah heck yeah these guys are legit yeah the other the other three would be would be fine but you'd have to talk yourself into it a little bit more Mm -hmm. Uh, okay all right well let's see it happen and in the meantime like i said folks we're going to take a little bit of a of a pause with this but um anytime that there's something to talk about we will be there um phil will uh stop he'll he'll be in the middle of of uh grinding pepper on some some nice patrons plate and say shit i gotta go and uh <laughs> and hop into the booth and, and we'll be and we'll even be if there's news even if there's news unrelated to trade or free agency if, if you know those types of things crop up like if jesse winker sets the clubhouse on fire because he hates everyone you know we'll we'll be on yes. when there's something to talk about guaranteed um all right buddy well good stuff here i'm ready for the off season uh, i'm not gonna be too much hibernation here but um it might be a while before you hear from us but uh take it easy and uh I don't know. Buck, buckled up, buckle up. No, no matter what, we'll do one in December. No matter what, like even if nothing is. So. Frant- frantic, haven't slept, scratching our necks, freaking yeah. out as to why nothing's <laughs> happened. Can't wait for that yeah. one. All right, uh, take it easy, my friend. Take it easy, bye.